1: Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Wednesday from our downtown studio location in Cleveland. And we're doing a normal show again. It feels like it's been a while since all three of us have been together in this room. But I'm joined by fellow beat writers Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how you two doing?
0: I'm good. Doing great. Just back from the Super Bowl. Had a great uh, press conference today with Andrew Berry, so everything's great.
1: I bet the weather's a little different, you know, compared to Cleveland, Miami, you know, a little bit different. And you're headed to Canada soon.
0: Yes. Oh, the weather was gorgeous in uh, Miami. It was so much fun to be down there. Just a lot of energy, and uh, it was just an exciting week, and just it was great to be there. And yes, now I'm heading into uh, the Antarctica tomorrow of Quebec City.
1: Yep, you're getting all ranges. But Brown Sands, we are back. And today, Cleveland introduced new GM Andrew Barry, or reintroduced, of course, uh, having a stint with this team earlier. Um, Jimmy Haslam introduced him, and then Andrew Barry talked for a while. So let's just jump right into that. Um, of course, he hit on key points like final say over the fifty-three man roster. You know things he learned in Philadelphia, um, and of course, he addressed the analytics, which is, seems to be the continues to be the buzzword in the room. Um, continuing to downplay people's fears and anxieties there. But let's start with just the presser as a whole. Uh, When you walk away from that, Mary Kay, Dan, what stood out to you? I think
2: it was the Andrew Barry that we knew a couple years ago. He was a little more polished, you know, like he'd been through these. uh, He'd been on stage a couple times before and, uh, you know, he certainly had the points he wanted to make. But this is sort of the same Andrew Barry that I think we we all kind of knew back when he was here the first time. I, I thought he... Said what he needed to say, Ellis. You mentioned he addressed um, the analytics. He addressed the scouting, uh, you know, hit all the notes of collaboration and togetherness, all of that. Uh, I thought he did what he was supposed to do up there. It sort of sounded a little bit like Kevin Stefanski's press conference a couple weeks ago. Uh, So everyone is is kind of saying all the right things right now.
0: You know, I think that... um... When I look at Andrew Berry, he's empowered now. When he was here before, he was only 28 years old, which just is amazing to think about. And the fact that he's only 32 right now, the youngest general manager in the history of the NFL, it just, it's mind-blowing <laughs> to think about uh, the fact that he is running this football team now at the young age of 32. But he's empowered now. Under Sashi Brown, he did not have final say over the roster. He, he, did, he was not the one that was able to make all those decisions. Uh, he had to defer to... Paul Di Podesta and Sashi Brown. It's Andrew Barry's team now. Uh, He can pretty much do what he wants with, obviously, the help of the analytics department, with a ton of input from Kevin Stefanski uh, and everyone else in the organization. But, you know, this is, Andrew can put his stamp on this football team now. And I think what he's done since he was here last, I think he learned from the Sashi Brown mistakes. I think he learned a lot from that era. He doesn't hide or run from it. Called it a very painful period in Brown's history. Obviously, it was. And I think he learned a little bit. Uh, from every place that he's been since then. Uh, you know, he worked for one year under John Dorsey. And, you uh, know, I think he learned a lot from, from those guys and how they do things. It really is the opposite end of the spectrum when you go from, you know, analytics to traditional football scouting. Uh, and then he went up and he worked with what he called the best GM in the NFL in Howie Roseman. And he really, truly believes that. And uh, I'm sure that Howie probably kind of had the best of both worlds, how he probably had uh, plenty of analytics and a lot of traditional football methods. So I think he's sort of seen it all, and now it's his time uh, to put the Andrew Barry stamp on the Cleveland Browns.
1: Yeah, before Andrew Barry even started speaking, I was, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it definitely uh, regrabbed my attention when Jimmy Haslam ended his introduction saying the youngest GM in NFL history at 32 years old. Andrew Berry's making history here. Uh, Dan and I spoke about it a little bit with Scott on last week's podcast. Mary Kay, you and I haven't had an opportunity to chat about it. You know a lot of executives. You've been around this league uh, <laughs> almost as long um, as Andrew Barry uh, has been in this world. Is,
0: Thanks, Ellis. Hey, it's a
1: sign. It's a sign of respect that you've been covering this league. It truly is. When you hear, I'm kidding. When you hear his age and Jimmy Haslem, not run from it, not bury it, really take it head on. This is the youngest GM in NFL history. The Browns are making history and a statement here. It's 32 too young to be running an NFL team at this point or has he had such a unique upbringing that that'll make up for it
0: well there were some crackers on the floor um, in in the media room <laughs> after after the press conference and I almost you know had to ask Andrew if he could clean up his crackers afterwards but actually they were his sons so they weren't his um, fortunately <laughs> but um, he is extremely young but he doesn't seem young sure uh, there are people that are uh, 32 that act 17 take my word for it. There are people that are 32 that act more like 50. So uh, that's a podcast for another day. My, my whole uh, theory on the authentic age, but we'll, we'll do back. that another day. But uh, he's, a, he's, he's an older soul. He's not a real super young, naive 32 years old. But I will say that people around the league you know, even at the Super Bowl, people came out to me, I had a lot of people coming up to me and just saying, do you think Andrew's ready for this? Can he handle this? Uh, And the truth is, we don't know yet. I mean, we just don't know because it's a challenging job. It's not a normal job. It never has been a normal job. It's a job where regimes get blown up every one or two years. And so he has to come in here and Kevin Stefanski has to come in here and try to settle this thing down. They have to try to have some continuity and stability and they have to get to winning and they have to try to stop the insanity that has gone on here.
2: Yeah. And I, I think the one thing that, that stood out to me with Kevin Stefanski and especially with Andrew Barry is, you know, he didn't come blowing in the door saying, uh, you know, look at all the stuff I've done, look at everything I've accomplished. This is my football team. Now this is what we're going to do. He just, he delivered the message he wanted to deliver. And, it, you know, a few words that kind of get thrown around with these guys, humility. They love to say the word servant leadership, right? You know, look, this is the NFL. These guys are in, you know, very rare positions. There's only 32 GM jobs, there's 32 head coach jobs. Obviously there's some ego involved in, in climbing that ladder, but uh, at, at the very least, you know, when you mention a guy that's only 32 years old, I don't think you would use the word brash to describe Andrew Barry is just, like I said, blowing in the door and saying, this is what I've accomplished and this is what we're going to do very measured you know, Ivy League guy uh, delivered the message he wanted to deliver, and I think that's kind of what gives you hope. He's very mature for a 32 year old, and also makes it certainly makes me feel old. Uh, so, you know, that is what it is. We'll just have to deal with that. But, uh, you know, I don't look up there and think, Oh, this guy's only 32. You know, he strikes me as a guy that has experience beyond his years, if that makes any sense.
0: The other thing that really stands out to me about uh, Andrew Barry today, uh, he hit Uh, The point a lot that they're looking uh, for really, really good people. He believes that good people lead to a successful organization. I think that's important. I think they will look for good people, not just in the front office and in every other department of the Cleveland Browns, but amongst their players. And I I think that's very, very important. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, but I think John Dorsey probably added too many non-green sticker guys to the team. And for anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about there, Eric Mangini had all green sticker guys on the team. And it's what happens on the draft board. You get like a red sticker or a green sticker. Green sticker guys are just impeccable. They have no flaws whatsoever. Um, Hard to build a football team like that, but uh, I think that these guys will tend more towards the green sticker guys. And uh, I think that they're going for a culture of, Andrew talked about it, you know, accountability, tough, smart. And we've heard those things many, many other times before, obviously. Uh, but uh, when you have alignment, when you have Paul De Podesta, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Berry, all thinking the same thing, I really do think that these guys are, are going to do more than just give that lip service.
1: Yeah, before we pivot to also Coach Stefanski and owner Jimmy Haslam speaking briefly today, quickly I want to ask both of you, is there anything Andrew Barry can do uh, between now and, say, the draft, you know, free agency comes to mind, post-draft even, a move that he could make that could instill some confidence within Browns fans? Is is it a free agent guy he could grab? Is there a contract situation he could uh, fix on the Browns? a sound draft. What do you think is maybe the number one thing that needs to happen by the time the draft is over for Browns fans to feel a little more confidence just because, you know, like you guys said, he didn't come in and take this press conference over, which is totally fine. And neither did Kevin Stefanski, but what can this regime do between now and the end of the draft to calm folks a bit?
2: I I don't know if they're, I don't know if, if calm is, is the right word. I think that I, I think my sense from Browns fans is they're very much in wait and see mode. Sure. You know, because they just went through, you know, they've been through so many regime changes just going back to 2016. And every year it's, man, look at all these great free agents the Browns signed and look at all these great players they drafted. And, uh, you know, they finally got it right. We, you know, you go through seven rounds of the draft and say, oh, this guy's going to be a starter. This guy's going to be a great backup. He feels. And I, I think Browns fans have found out over and over again that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I, I think they're. You know, I kind of applaud at least the ones that I see on social media, the ones that I've I've talked to. I kind of applaud their patience in all of this. Like, eh, you know what? Let's wait and see what happens in September. I think that's what they have to do. You've got to start winning games in September and, and make fans feel good about this football team when they play on Sundays. I, I don't know that there's much appetite for this team to quote-unquote win the offseason. I, I think we've been over that again and again and again. I, I just think it's a matter of, you know, show us you kind of know what you're doing, sign some good free agents, you don't have to go crazy, draft players that that fit, that, you know, fill needs that that are going to make this football team better. And then we'll see what happens in September.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that he said was that he was going to aggressively acquire talent, which I thought was interesting because John Dorsey was really known for aggressively acquiring yeah. talent. I mean, he completely overhauled this football team. Now, of course, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So we don't know yet who does Andrew Barry like, who does Kevin Stefanski like, who, who don't they like. Uh, so there probably will be some surprises coming up over the next few months. But I think one of the things that Andrew can do over the next couple of months, maybe even before the draft, uh, is try to take some steps to upgrade the offensive line. I think a lot of people would feel better about this football team if the offensive line was better. Uh, I think that is just, you know, one area that you can point to and say, you know, if they fortify some of those positions, then you can't really, you know, look at this team and say that there is a horrible glaring weakness. He's got a lot of other decisions that he has to make. Guys like Joe Schobert. Uh, who now has new life breathed into him because Andrew Berry was part of drafting him. Same thing with David Njoku, yeah. Rashard Higgins. I mean, these guys are the uh, last vestiges of the Sashi Brown regime, and they now have a little bit more chance of, of possibly sticking around. Uh, but for the most part, I think if there was one area to address, I would think it would be, you know, let's look at the left tackle situation. Let's look at the offensive line and see if you can't get that going a little bit.
2: I will, I will add one thing, too. I think it, it goes to something that, he, that Andrew Berry actually said, kind of the his guys versus my guys sort of thing. I think if, you know, they've got to make the moves they need to make. But as long as I think people can look at those decisions and see them as solid roster-building decisions and solid football decisions, as opposed to, well, I drafted this guy, so we're going to pay him a bunch of money. I didn't draft this guy, so let's get him out of here. I think that would make, fans feel a lot better too like like just put some of the petty stuff behind and i feel like hopefully this is a front office that will be able to do that and make decisions based on are you a good player or are you not a good player i don't care if i drafted you or some other guy drafted you or signed you or something like that make decisions based on football not on who necessarily brought a guy in
0: and what have we said for the last Over two years, every time they like made a roster move or overlooked one of Sashi's guys, it was always like, Well, you weren't going to have a chance. You know, John Dorsey, you know, blew through the doors saying that he was going to get some real football players in here and really served notice to anyone that was acquired by Sashi Brown uh, that he might not be long for this football team. And one by one, we saw (laughs) them go out the door, whether uh, it be through trade or whatever the case may be, being released. A lot of trades, actually. Um, But, you know, we saw a complete and total overhaul of the roster. And I don't think that that's what these guys are going to do. I think they're going to fortify it. I think they're going to build it. Uh, But I don't think it will be at breakneck speed.
1: Yeah, Mary Kay, I I completely agree with that. And one thing with Andrew Barry and Kevin's fancy, it just seems like pride, ego is not going to get in the way. Like you said, Darcy comes in and feels like he needs to put his brand on a roster and that doesn't seem where this new regime is going as for Kevin Stefanski he also spoke today along with owner Jimmy Haslam was there anything those two said um, that stood out the most I know there are a few takeaways from each you know Stefanski mentioned play calling Jimmy Haslam touched on the Kareem Hunt situation Uh, did either point stand out to you guys there
2: I I mean, I think for me, and and I asked Stefanski about this because as as I'm standing there listening, it just stood out to me as he's talking about his coaching staff and and putting people in place. And Mary Kay, you touched on this, too, with Andrew Barry, is he kept using certain words, right? He kept pointing to a person's integrity. Uh, You know, there were a couple people he referred to as, well, he's got integrity he's a family man and you know it's easy to get caught up in that stuff and it's easy to say that stuff because ultimately these are football jobs and it's about winning and losing but it stood out to me that he kept kind of going back to those points and and so i eventually just i gotta ask him why he keeps going back to those words and he he said it's very important you know he's hiring people not just for football traits but he's hiring people and it does seem like you know, that that's sort of where he's going, where Andrew Barry's going as they kind of put this organization together. You know, it's not just about the football traits necessarily. It's about bringing in people who are solid human beings as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's vitally important. I really do. I think that, uh, they kind of lost their way a little bit over the last couple of years. And that is why every single time we sit down to write a story, it's about some other controversy <laughs> that someone has gotten into. And, uh, You know, you can have a certain amount of players on your team that aren't the green sticker guys, but you have to be very judicious in how many distractions you bring on, especially when you have first-year head coaches. So I think they're setting it up the right way. I like the fact that Kevin Stefanski has Bill Callahan, Uh, you know, whether it was going to be Brad Childress, Bill Callahan, whoever you need a guy like that. You need that uh, that wise sage, that senior offensive advisor, and he's got that. But the thing that stood out to me uh, when you're asking about Jimmy Haslam standing up there, Kevin Stefanski standing up there, that Kareem Hunt stuff was pretty strong coming from Jimmy mm-hmm. Haslam. Okay, that was pretty strong. He said, in no uncertain terms, what happened with Kareem when he was stopped on January 21st was unacceptable it was bad and basically we are not going to tolerate that and when someone asked him a follow-up question about whether or not he wanted Kareem Hunt back he didn't jump quickly to say yes even though this was the NFL uh, rookie uh, the NFL rushing leader as a rookie in 2017 Uh, he didn't he didn't quickly just say absolutely we want him back he said If he's going to toe the line and do exactly what we set out for him, the expectations that we have for him, uh, then and only then do we want him back. That wasn't an exact quote, but basically the message was there and it was loud and clear. They are not happy with what happened with Kareem Hunt. Even though he didn't get charged with much, he smelled like weed. He smelled like alcohol, and he was flying down the highway at 77 in a 60 in the middle of the afternoon. And that's not going to fly with the Cleveland Browns, who gave him a chance when really no one else would. And who gave him the chance? John Dorsey. John Dorsey is out the door. And now uh, he has to be on his absolute best behavior because his number one advocate isn't here to fight for him anymore. And these guys don't have the loyalty to him, and they don't have the allegiance him and that's going to be the case for a lot of players on this football team so they have got to clean up their act all of them or or they're gonna they're gonna their futures are will be in doubt
1: yeah mary kay i that stood out to me also and i think it all is intertwined in an overarching message here look this new regime clearly comes from an analytic background and supports it Uh, Of course, with the mix of football, uh, that won't be an issue, I don't think. But the point being is analytics haven't been too friendly to running backs. (laughs) It says they're disposable. It says that you plug a guy in, it's more about system and scheme than individual player versus production, which means despite what I may think about Kareem Hunt and the eye tests and how versatile he is and I've been on this podcast and Dan has too saying, you know, he might be the, the most talented Browns football player, you know, language like that. The analytics aren't going to care because Kareem Hunt's a running back and at the end of the day is replaceable at the bottom line. And on top of that, Dan, what you said about um, Andrew Barry looking for, you know, quality people, not just football minds and whatnot, he he made a similar point to when it comes to accumulating talent. Of course, he said, he's, you know, we're going to be aggressive in bringing in talent. But he mentioned one thing he learned in Philly, and I think it was from a question you asked specifically he learned more about team building rather than just accumulating talent. So he's not just looking for great football minds on his staff. He's looking for quality people. He's not just looking for talented football players to put in his locker room. He's also looking for quality people. Cream hunts, a, I'm sure, is a good person. He's making mistakes young people make, and when you have the platform he does, it's unacceptable, and it's he's running out of chances. So co- combining what they're looking for in the quality of people with what analytics say about running backs. Kareem Hunt is, is on a, on a real thin line here. And Mary Kay, to your point, it's going to apply to other players down the line. It'll be interesting to see, uh, which players last despite some antics and which ones don't. And, and, and that'll just have to get played out over time. But it seems that we're nearing, uh, a breaking point when it comes to at least Kareem Hunt. And if, Assuming things don't get turned around. If, we don't, if he's squeaky clean and we don't hear anything from re- here on out, y- you assume a, a good season for Kareem Hunt going forward. But this has to be a, a wake-up call in the very least, considering what he just came back from, right?
0: Yeah, and I have said this before. Uh, it's, it's also a red flag. It's an opportunity sure. for the NFL and for the Cleveland Browns and for anybody else involved with Kareem Hunt uh, to get a hold of him right now yeah. and to do whatever it takes To make sure that he doesn't go too far off the track. And then at that point, once they get him the help again that he needs, because right now, uh, if he's smelling like weed and alcohol and speeding and doing all those kinds of things when he's been through alcohol awareness classes and all those sorts of things, uh, then, uh, you know, there's a chance that he needs to be assessed again right now and all those kinds of things in terms of, is he managing substances okay? Is he having an issue? Is he depressed? Is he whatever? Uh, once they figure out what's going on with him, then they have to decide. He is a restricted free agent and they can, you know, they can tender him, they can keep him, they can extend him, they can trade him. Uh, they have to decide if he is the type of player that they want to move forward with and if they think that he can, uh, you know, stay on the straight and narrow and if living here in Cleveland is the right environment for him, the right place for him. He's surrounded by a lot of family members. And as we all know, a, a lot of his family members are in trouble and are not good influences on him. So uh, these are decisions that they have to make.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't want to downplay, t- you got to have talent to win in the NFL. It, you know, Eric Mangini is somebody you mentioned who, you know, liked those green sticker guys and was a really good X's and O's coach, but ultimately he never really had a lot of talent because he was so tied to those guys. But, you know, by the same token, to your point, Ellis, I just watched a team win the Super Bowl that used to have Kareem Hunt. I just watched another team make it to the Super Bowl that had Raheem Mostert as its running Mm -hmm. back. So it is a very disposable position, and it's a position where you can find guys who can do what you need them to do. Maybe not at the level a Kareem Hunt can do, but you can find guys to be in that position to help you win football games. Uh, So the Browns have to weigh that. And the other part of it is, you can only have to answer questions about a guy so many times and, and you can only have to put out statements or deal with TMZ videos or poor decision making so many times. So even if it was just a speeding ticket, uh, even if it was a small amount of marijuana in the car, whatever it was, it it's still just a bad decision. And ultimately you do have to have a football team. You know, ultimately this does come down to football and being able to, you know, have 52 other guys in that locker room that can count on a guy and know he's going to be there on Sundays and there's not going to be suspension. There's not going to be poor decision making. You're not going to have to answer questions on a a Friday that's supposed to be a meaningless Friday where everybody just gets out of the building and gets ready for Sunday. But now you've got to answer questions about a TMZ video or a police report or something like that. Uh, th- those are things that they have to weigh as this goes forward too.
0: Yeah, and I asked Kevin Stefanski that. I said, how far are you away from the culture that you want to have, the kind of football team that you want and the character that you want in this team? And he said, I don't really know yet because I don't have all the guys in the building. Once he gets all of his guys in here and he figures out what they're all about, I mean, think about this. Before he took that job, he was involved in uh, the playoffs so he really wasn't sitting around trying to figure out where Kareem Hunt's head was at right. or where Miles Garrett's head is at and what kind of guy he is. I mean, he's he's got a lot of homework to do on these players. Now, fortunately, Andrew Barry knows a lot of them, so he can catch him up on a lot of things, and Paul can, and a lot of, a lot of other people can too. Um, but I think the message is clear that they are going to set a certain standard, the bar is going to be very high, and you are going to meet that bar or you're not going to be on this football team. This team was out of control last year. Okay, it was out of control. I mean, people that even that we, per, you know, perceive as leaders and really good players like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. weren't necessarily working within a framework and a structure where there was discipline and, you know, and they had to fit within the, the boundaries of that. Uh, you know, there there wasn't that at all last year. I mean, the inmates were running the yep. asylum. And I actually think, That is why there was an environment that lent itself to Miles Garrett doing what he did in that football game because they're starting from week one when they committed 18 penalties. And Dan, we've traced this back to Indianapolis when they went out and imposed their will in a practice when (laughs) Frank Reich and Freddie Kitchens had agreed that there was going to be no fighting. There was no discipline for that. Uh, You know, they went out and they started five fights in that second practice was just a joke. Um, There was just not a culture of accountability and discipline last year, and that's not going to happen under these guys. Uh, There's a new sheriff in town, and you're either going to fall in line or you're not going to be here.
1: Right. Players will likely find out quickly. Um, Cream hunt and whatnot aside, any other takeaways from either Barry, Stefanski, or Haslam today before we switch gears? Uh, You know, I I think just kind of taking the the
2: 10,000 – foot view of this process um and, and how it all played out I, I think one piece of optimism that browns fans can certainly kind of grab onto i think i've said this before is it does feel like jimmy haslam kind of set out to follow a process <laughs> to get these guys in place and he let it happen it doesn't feel like he meddled too much it feels like he let paul de podesta really run things it feels like it's paul de Podesta's show now if, if this works He's going to get to stand up and say, you know, look what I brought here. If it doesn't, he's going to be out the door with everybody else. It it just feels like, at least for now, the owner kind of stepped back and let this process play out the way it was supposed to play out. I mean, I guess you could say he did that last year, too, with John Dorsey and and Freddie Kitchens. But um, it it does seem like, at least this time, he kind of cleared the decks and, and let the process play out the way it should have.
0: And I think one of the key points of today was uh, that Andrew Barry stated unequivocally that this will be a scouting-oriented personnel department. Everyone wonders and is worried. Is this a turning back the clock to the 1 in 31 days of Sashi Brown, over-emphasis on analytics, not enough on a pair of eyes on a player, and and really just understanding what a football player is, because in my opinion, analytics is very vastly different than it is in football and it is in baseball. There's certain things in football that you can't measure. It's a team game. You can't measure heart and things like that. Um, So I was heartened for Browns fans to hear that it's not going, the pendulum isn't going to be swinging all the way back to analytics and that they will land somewhere in the middle, that they will apply modern football concepts and statistics and Data, uh, and they will couple that and marry that with uh, getting your getting your seat out in the stands and looking at players and watching film and talking to players and interviewing uh, people around them and doing a comprehensive analysis. And I think that 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 was that was good. People needed to hear that from Andrew that this isn't just going to be uh, you know the Harvards the suits you know sitting around trying to build a football team.
1: Yep, balancing football. And data. That's the goal. Easier said than done, but at its simplest form, that is the goal. Before we take a quick break, uh, Mary Kay, I just wanted to use you to address this whole Joe Woods defensive coordinator situation. Um, on Twitter the other night, some national reports started confusing, you know, going through the re- replies. I noticed some Brown Sands being confused, like, oh, I thought Joe Woods was already in Cleveland, yada, yada. So, very quickly, can you just uh, clear the air and w- what's going on with this Joe Woods situation as you've been reporting uh, for a couple weeks now and as recent as Monday?
0: Yeah, I mean, nothing has changed. And, you know, nothing has changed. As I wrote on Monday, the only the only question that there was, uh, as as we got through the Super Bowl was, would the 49ers really try to make some kind of big push? There was a report several weeks ago, that maybe they would make some kind of a push to keep him thinking that Robert Sala will probably end up becoming a head coach sooner than later. Uh, that was the only sort of thing that was out there. So I checked with my sources on Monday when I got back from the Super Bowl, and I asked my sources about the Browns and Joe Woods, and I was told on that day that it is not official yet. Joe Woods is going to is being hired as the Browns' defensive coordinator in no uncertain terms. So that's what I wrote on Monday. That has not changed. Just because it took him a day to maybe pack a few suitcases, and come to town, he's here to become the defensive coordinator. All they're doing right now basically is finalizing it. So uh, what I wrote on Monday still stands. He's, He's being hired as the defensive coordinator, and his signature just needs to go on some piece of paper.
1: There you go. We're going to leave it at that. That's why she's one of the best in the business. Mary Kay Cabot giving you the latest on the Joe Woods situation. And she's been doing, as I said, for weeks and as recent as uh, Monday with the latest and breaking news. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're going to come right back with your football insider questions. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Wednesday. I'm joined by Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Before we get into your Football Insider questions, a quick reminder that for 3.99 dollars a month, you can sign up for Football Insider where you can get exclusive content on the Cleveland Browns from not only us three, but Scott Pasco and others contributing to our daily newsletter, uh, exclusive texts and information, again, coming from our core Browns beat writers. So for 3.99 a month, click the blue the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com/browns to get that exclusive content. All right, so for our first football insider question, this one's about free agency coming from the area code 330. Question being, Barry stated today he wants quote to aggressively add talent. Could you see a situation in which they waive Olivier Vernon, saving 15 million and go after someone like Armstead from the 49ers? Are targeting tight ends like the Chargers' Hunter Henry or the Falcons' Austin Hooper. Also, the Vikings' safety Anthony Harris is going to hit the market, and there's an obvious connection there with Kevin Stefanski. So, simply this insider is asking, could you see the Browns making a restructuring, Olivier, and stuff like that to target aggressively target free agents in this upcoming market? Well.
0: I absolutely don't think that Olivier Vernon is going to make $15 million to play for the Cleveland Browns next year. I do not see that happening in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know if he'll just outright be gone or if they will try to offer him uh, some kind of a restructuring or whatever the case may be, uh, but they will lop some money off of their cap. And, and analytics is going to play a large role in the cap. They're, they're going to use and spend way more wisely than I think that they probably did last year or the last two years under John Dorsey, Um, and there are a lot of double-digit million guys, and they've got some big decisions to make. Uh, Joe Schobert wants to be paid as the highest linebacker on the team if he's going going to stay here, so that's a decision that they have to make. But yeah, I think, you know, I was was interested to hear him say that he will aggressively add talent, considering that I think we look at this roster as already a pretty good roster. Uh, But again, I, I think that I think that they will go out and they'll take a strong look at whatever kind of left tackles they can find. Um, Maybe they'll try to trade for one. I don't even know what's going on with Trent Williams these days. But, um, you know, that's somebody to keep an eye on as well. And some of these other guys that are mentioned here, uh, I, I think that they will be in the market and they will have plenty of cap money to spend.
2: Yeah, and I think the types of players to keep an eye on, and, and part of the reason I'd be surprised if a guy like Trent Williams did pop up on the radar is he doesn't seem—I don't know if he fits the profile that they'll be looking for. I think the type of guys you're looking for, are guys going into their second contracts, right? Um, guys who are in their mid twenties, you know, early to mid twenties, and they'll be pricey, but you're going to have, you know, control over them for a little while. You know, just think back to J.C. Treader. Right. That's a guy that, you know, the Brown signed when Sashi was was running things. Uh, uh, Kevin Zeitler. Uh, of course, they messed up on Mitchell Schwartz and let him walk. But that's the type of free agent that I think they would they would want to sign. Uh, so I think those are those are the sorts of guys to maybe keep an eye on if they're going to go into free agency. I don't know that they would sign. Yeah, they could sign an older veteran, something if they feel like they need somebody at that position. Um, but I think those are sorts of the guys as you look at free agent lists. Who are guys that maybe their team can't afford? They're younger, maybe going into their second contract or maybe a third contract, but they're still young and, and they really do kind of fit a specific need that the Browns have. I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, do you guys think they'll be aggressive in free agency like John Dorsey was? I mean, John Dorsey spent a lot of money when he first showed up, you know, and of course traded a draft pick to get Tyrod Taylor and, and did some stuff like that. I, I, I know Andrew Barry used the word aggressive, but I don't think it's going to be, I think it might end up being tame compared to what John Dorsey did.
0: Yeah, and and maybe it will involve trading more th- yeah. more so than signing a 30-year-old free agent for a ton of money over market value. That's not the analytics way of doing things. So they will find guys in the prime of their contract at the right price. I, th- I think you'll see more of a uh, smart cap uh approach like the way the Patriots do it you get to a certain point in your career and you know you, you don't match up with the money anymore and you're done so um yeah so I think we'll see a lot more of that but one thing we didn't bring up before that I want to just circle back on real quick and and that is Odell Beckham jr when when Jimmy Haslam today seemed very adamant that that Kareem hunt has got to toe the line or he's not coming back here all three of them were very adamant that they want Odell Beckham Jr. back here. There was no hesitation on that whatsoever. I'm still interested to see how that plays out because I have to wonder, is Odell going to want a contract redo? There was talk that he wanted that last year when he showed up. Uh, is he going going to want to be here? Uh, you know I mean he, he seems to, to want to be here with Jarvis. Um, But I just think that that's still something that is going to have to be looked at long and hard. The investment in Jarvis and Odell going forward. They are due to make $27 million this year. Two receivers making $27 million. Now, if he is exactly what Baker Mayfield needs uh, to get this team to the next level, then by all means, move forward and, and make it happen. But I still think that all the parties involved are going to have to put their heads together and make sure uh, that that's the right thing to do.
2: And I I want to circle back on a a different point that that you brought up with the trading. And I think as you kind of look at the NFL and you try and find those areas where you can gain advantages, and this is a very Eagles approach. And I think John Dorsey was actually very much going down this road too. Trading is kind of one of still the few inefficiencies in the NFL that exists and taking advantage of trades and, kind of doing the nba style trades right like one of the more divisive moves that sashi brown made was to trade for a guy that made a lot of money so he could get an extra draft pick that's a very nba style trade uh so i think finding those inefficiencies in the trade market is something we'll see this brown's front office and paul de podesta and of course andrew Berry really try to attack and so i'm curious to see um Kind of how they approach that as the NFL is still playing catch-up with some of the other leagues when it comes to making trades.
0: What did you think of that move, by the way, when he did that for Brock Osweiler? I I was not a fan of that whatsoever. He spent $16 million to acquire a second-round draft pick. I did not like it. I thought it was... uh, just a little, hey, look at me. I'm going to look what I can do. Look at how smart I am. And I can do these kinds of things here in the NFL. I did not like that move at all.
2: See, so I I actually didn't mind it. And I, you know, I've told the vet story on here. How I, at first, I just thought they traded for Brock Osweiler. And I'm like, what are they doing trading for? But anyway, that's, go find an old podcast into that story. <laughs> uh, I was stuck at the vet's office. That's all you need to know. But I do think, again, going back to that, You know, that NBA style of doing things that there are a lot of teams out there and, I, you know, we're seeing it with uh, with Kevin Love right now with the Cavs. A lot of reports are out there that if people want to take on Kevin Love's contract, the Cavs have to give up a pick to to do it. We're seeing teams in the NBA do that a lot. Um, I I didn't have a problem with it because to me, if you're a team that has money and you're willing to spend that money and you can get a pick, that's great. Now, the pick looked a lot better because Deshaun Watson tore his ACL if Deshaun Watson doesn't tear his ACL, that pick might be in the mid forties or late fifties. And then you're like, really you took on $16 million for that pick. I think you'd rather maybe bring back a first, um, if you're going to take on that much money, but I do think, you know, the dolphins did it, uh, trying to remember who, yeah. So the dolphins took on a big salary and got a draft pick for it. I think we're going to see more and more of it in the NFL, that particular trade, you know, again, like I said, Deshaun Watson tears his ACL. It changes the outlook of that trade because it's number thirty-five instead of number forty-five or number fifty-five, whatever it would have been. Um, so I didn't have a problem with the the theory behind it. I, I think you should ask for a first-round pick though if you're taking on that kind of money.
0: Yeah, I just didn't think sixteen million dollars uh, to acquire that pick was economically wise I, it, I just did not think that that was necessary or the right thing to do i think there are other ways to build your football team without trying to spend your money that way when you let free agents or you let quality right. football players that you have built and developed on your own walk out the door for a lot less money than that and yeah
2: you, that's that's kind of the bigger picture like you let you let a guy like mitchell schwartz leave right you know, okay, for a couple now, million bucks, yeah. All you had to do was pay yeah. him maybe
0: one more million dollars a year to have the best right tackle in the NFL for the next eight, nine, ten years, and they're still suffering uh, from that horrible mistake. And then you're just going to go, you know, throw 16 million dollars out the window on a, on a draft pin on an unproven draft pick that you don't know if you're going to blow the pick or not,
1: right? Dan, I really agree with you. It, it, it's flashy, it's a look at me move. Uh, it, it reads well on a headline and it makes a guy like John Dorsey look innovative and creative by sampling a move from NBA front offices and using the NFL. Really, they're two completely different leagues. You don't get the longevity in the NFL. It's a, it's a win now league as everyone here has seen in Cleveland. You know, that move, that draft pick for Dorsey doesn't really mean anything because he, he's gone. So where's, or then investment rather than uh, maybe spreading that money out, acquiring talent, like you said, giving a million or two to a guy who could stick around and, be um, a prospect you could groom rather than just a, a draft pick. Draft picks are just hope. You're just throwing you know darts at a board and hoping things land. Um, I want to go back to Odell Beckham and this free agency thing quickly. Um, y- yes, the Browns are going to have a lot of decisions to make regarding uh, really what feels like a marriage right now of Odell and Jarvis Landry. And really, I don't see another team taking both those guys on this is probably the, the the only moment in their careers where they'll be able to um be on the same nfl roster together and i think they've even hinted at that a few times and uh you know one of their pressers throughout the regular season how special this, this is to them but you know those both, both those guys make a lot of money i think to, just this past season odell was at like 18 jarvis is at 15 mary Kay. you mentioned how they're you know will be go down to 27 combined this upcoming season but um, that's a lot of money to allocate to two guys who, uh, you know, Odell, of course, with injury issues, but he barely broke 1,000 this year. And Odell's saying he wants more money and whatnot. Um, Odell might be in a, a prove-it situation just like a lot of other guys right now, Baker Mayfield being one of them, where, yeah, you know, you can live off the past performance, but to get this next contract or even a restructure, you're going to have to go out and, and really show something. So decisions are going to have to be made there very soon because they have a draft coming up that is absolutely loaded with wide receiver talent, not only in the top end of the draft, there could be as many as like five receivers going in the first round right now, but I've read as upwards of like 20 impact receivers are coming in this draft. And that is something, you know, we're talking analytics, we're talking uh green sticker guys. They're going to be on top of these wide receivers and possibly start grooming the next group of receivers that are going to come in and not only, you know, Surplant Odell and Jarvis one day But really just to play immediately We talked all year about how this team doesn't have a number 3 receiver That's something I'm, I'm sure that They'll address And when it comes to other ways to work free agency Whether they'll be aggressive or they won't Look, like we've been saying Everything is best in balance This team isn't going to uh, Compete in the AFC in If they plan on filling All their roster holes with just Rookies, unless they nail every selection which is literally impossible so they're gonna have to mirror a combination of drafting free agency and i guess trading like you said dan which is an inefficiency which teams like the patriots seem to know how to exploit but that's really about it uh i think anthony harris a guy from the vikings could make sense here if teams don't really realize how good of a season he actually did and if for some reason the vikings underappreciate him uh Kevin Stefanski I'm sure is very familiar with him he could slide in here those tight ends might be kind of expensive um the Bears linebacker Roycon Smith is a name that has intrigued me it doesn't seem like Chicago wants to bring him back he falls in that window of a second contract guy um I think he might be looking for maybe his third contract now but he's still on the right side of 30 uh, battled some injuries, and could come in and fill the linebacker spot that maybe Joe Schulbert exits or just bringing in more linebacker help. So free agency is, of course, going to be something we're watching. And, again, until these guys start making their first moves and we can learn more about their tendencies, it's really all speculation at this point. Which really brings us to our next question uh, from the 804 on the draft, and this is actually something Andrew Berry touched on today, the question being, who is going to have final say on the draft? continues going if it ain't a left tackle the fans are going to be mad or the browns going to trade down like they did when sashi brown was here with barry when you hear the thoughts on the draft barry mentioned a little bit today about how it's going to be a cohesive effort uh, how do you see this draft going Just specifically the first round is this a pick they'll hold on to they need to make some sort of a splash selection tends a, a nice spot to be um Or do you think the analytics will drive the ship and hey, if a trade down opportunity is best for this team, Browns fans could leave unhappy on day one of draft day?
0: Well, whenever you're dealing with, again, the analytics model of acquiring assets and uh, preserving and protecting and creating cap space, uh, you will always take a look at trading down and to see whether or not that's feasible. As far as who has final say over the roster, Andrew Berry was always going to have final say over all roster moves. That's what he has as GM. So he's got that distinction. Uh, When he talks about it being collaborative, it will be that because everybody will give input, but he will put the final stamp on it. And I I think there's no mistake about that.
2: Yeah. He um, has the 53 and I don't think he wants to give up too much of that control. Uh, As as far as trading down, I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, they, They could get an offer at 10 that they can't refuse. Uh, but I also think this team is at is at a different place than they were back in 2016, or at least what they were trying to accomplish. And the reality is first-round picks are really valuable, not just because of the talent you get, but because of how much they cost, and you get a little more control because they come with that fifth-year option. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it would have to be a lot, I would hope, uh, to want to trade out of that number 10 pick.
1: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. And uh, we got one more question uh, from the 909 we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but simply how do the Browns solve their offensive line problems? And furthermore, I want to ask you two, you know, does it need to be a, a first-round pick at 10 with an offensive lineman and a free agent? How many offensive linemen, new offensive linemen, do they need to bring in here where you two would feel comfortable come training camp time? Like, all right, this right, let's wait and see how this goes. It's not going to be the same thing as last year.
0: I would say they need to add uh, potentially two starters on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they need a, a massive overhaul. I mean, they, they obviously have two players in Batonio and Tredder that are very solid there. Uh, so I would think that they'll take a look at upgrading the tackle positions, uh, particularly probably the left tackle spot. Um, but maybe right and left and um, just they'll have to see how they figure feel about what they have going at right guard
2: yeah I I think um, I I think you can get away probably with right guard Uh, you know may will have to see what they think about a guy like Wyatt Teller Uh, but you've got to address the tackle positions you you've got to make sure that you get that you go into next season whether it's via free agency or via the draft that you have your left tackle and, and you're starting left tackle and you're not just trying to hodgepodge the position like they have since Joe Thomas retired. And no. it seemed like they were completely unprepared for Joe Thomas to retire, which was bizarre. Uh, but that's what happened. And, and now they, they are still looking for a left tackle. And, and you've got to find that guy, whether it's at number 10, whether it's in the second round, whether it's via free agency, uh, that, that has to be a, a priority to fix that tackle position.
1: Before we get out of here, one last question. If on day one, week one, the Browns are starting either Chris Hubbard or Greg Robinson at either tackle, which one would be more surprising slash concerning to either of you?
2: Greg Robinson. I, 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 I don't know that Chris Hubbard's going to be the guy that's starting a right tackle, but I would be shocked if Greg Robinson is starting a left tackle.
0: Yeah, I mean, his his contract is up. Right. He was on a one-year prove-it deal, and I would think that they will – uh, do everything that they possibly can to upgrade that position. Uh, when you're benched in the middle of one of your seasons and it's your prove it season, that's a good sign that they're going to look to replace you. And I, I would think that that's uh, something that's on the docket.
1: Right, right. I agree with you both. Crazier things have happened. Maybe, you know, they re- they can get Gary Robinson back at an even cheaper number. And, you know, if three. Tackles go in the before pick 10 and free agency doesn't work out. You know, you got to start someone. But, uh, you know, hopefully, like Mary Case said, it is two new starters in that situation. Um, but as a theme this offseason has been, we're going to have to wait and see. So uh, before we get out of here, anything else you two would like to add? Anything we missed?
0: You know, one thing I would like to add, and that is uh, both Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry today praised Baker Mayfield. And talked about his potential, how excited they are about about him. So as of right now, it really seems like the whole organization is behind Baker Mayfield and that they feel with some really good coaching, with bringing Alex Van Pelt in here, who's really good with quarterbacks, uh, and he's also the OC, obviously, Um, And with Kevin Stefanski, with the scheme that they're going to run, with emphasis on play action, that they can restore Baker Mayfield uh, to his number one overall status, and he is their guy. So I think that's important.
2: And what really matters is Jimmy Haslam stood up there and said we have a quarterback yeah. when he was basically asked what's different we have a quarterback now so right. it's not just the head coach and the gm it's the owner of the team who still obviously right. very much believes in baker mayfield
1: yeah we, and as you said mary Kay, we didn't have time to get to baker making his rounds on super bowl week right you know going on first things first get up and radio row and all that but it's a long off season, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get there in time yep. um, but listeners that's all we got for today uh, as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for Football Insider. By doing so, click on the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns to get our exclusive content and your questions under the Orange and Brown talk, pod- talk podcast. For Ellis Williams, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, we're signing off. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care.